Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Welcome if you're here in person or online. We're so glad that you're joining us. We're in the middle of our series, Summer Mixtapes. So you've been hearing from a few people in our church, and I get the privilege today. Next week we have Jana Kent. I'm so excited about that. Um, So, these are like trusted people to us. They're faithful in the church. They've committed to Generations Church. They've taken next step. And so, um, you know, to give them that position of influence and share from their heart is so exciting for us. And I think they've been doing a great job. So, summer mixtape, the idea was like, you know, road trip type thinking and type songs. But as it turns out, there is not one song in my past that is appropriate. Like... Honestly, (laughs) I'm looking at the lyrics, remembering singing Meatloaf in the back of a volleyball van. (laughs) I can't even say the song. It's so bad. Just a lot of, there's too many kids in here. You know it. You know what I'm trying to say. Anyways, um, so, (laughs) so I landed on a road trip playlist song that I have this summer. And if you were here early ahead of time, you would have heard Zach Williams and Dolly Parton singing There Was Jesus. It's such a beautiful song. And it's kind of breaking the rules because poor Jana, she's going to be doing Roxette next week. And uh, I pulled out a Jesus song. So (laughs) it's fun. Um, But anyways, There Was Jesus, because I love that song. And it just, it's kind of what the Lord had put on my heart Um, for today. Not to mention that, like, I burned all of my old CDs at one point. I know you kids haven't had to do that. (laughs) But there was just a time where I was like, I can't even have these in my room. Garth Brooks and Colin Ray, I'm sorry, you went into the same fire pit as the Trage and Green Day. I regret it. But guys, I was passionate about Jesus, and those CDs tied me to my past. And every time I would listen to them, I would, I would think about my old life, and I would, remember, I would remember things. So, they're burnt. Now, don't be burning iPhones these days, okay? It's digital. You can just delete it. So, I've been thinking a lot about parenting teenagers, because I have some of those. There's a lot of late nights. If you ever want to talk to a teenager, you have to have a, a nap while they go out. And then you set your alarm and you wake up when they get home and and you're good. Or you drink coffee. They like to talk late at night. Wanting to stir up the passions in some of our teenagers in our church and in our family. Um, And it it makes me think about I'm taking what I learned from my own childhood and my parents. Maybe my lack of freedoms, my curfews, and how does that work for our family? And so I've really... Honestly, as I'm parenting, I'm really trying to weave the gospel into all of those conversations because I didn't actually have that kind of influence. So when I was a kid, my parents were believers. They knew about Jesus. My dad became a Christian when I was a young girl. He, he followed, decided to follow Jesus, not just attend Catholic Mass nothing wrong with that, but he just, he heard about Jesus and and what he did for him, and he decided to make a decision. Um, But even though they were believers, um, and even though it was, it was never specifically taught to me by my parents, my church never specifically 
laid things out the way I interpreted it, I had this idea that my standing with God was up to me. So throughout my elementary years and my high school years, if I could summarize my relationship with God, it was that I believed some things that weren't true. I believed that it would be my goodness that would determine God's love for me. I believed that it would be my behavior that would determine God's acceptance of me. And I have to say that I think I always went back and forth between being this lawful person who wanted to follow the rules and, and realizing, well, I just, I, I could not keep up to that. So I'm just not gonna follow the rules. And so I'd go back and forth between like, I am not, I am not doing all the things that I think God expects of me because my thinking was that it was up to me. And I think if there's anything that works against us in the way of teaching grace, in the way of the gospel, it's, it's this idea of moralism. It's this idea that our behavior is what pleases God. And we can so easily forget that we need his grace. Now, next week I could easily, easily share out of God's word about how important it is to obey him and how important it is to live with the fruit of the spirit in your life. But, but those things hinge on understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So that's the part I wanna think about this morning. So if you listen to that song that was playing this morning, one of the first verses says, every time I try to make it on my own, every time I try to stand, I start to fall. And all those lonely roads that I've traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. So let's just pray this morning. God, I, I thank you for each person that's here. God, I know that everyone that's here today is here for a reason and you have something for each one of us. And so I pray that as we talk and look into your word, your word would come alive, that it would bring life to us, that we would understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Michael Horton in, in his book, Christless Christianity, writes, what would it look like if Satan really took control of a city? Over half a century ago, a minister named Donald Gray Barnhouse offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon that was broadcast nationwide in CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia, where he pastored, all of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. He's speculating what it would look like if Satan took over the entire city. Pristine streets, tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ was not preached. And isn't that scary? Because what Barnhouse describes is what most of us want for our children, for our spouse, 
for ourselves. Jesus or no Jesus, we want them to obey. We want them to be polite, to not swear, to not look at pornography, to get a good job, to marry a good person, to not do bad things and not, not get caught up in the really bad stuff. But if we forget about the gospel of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, who he is, his grace, while we try on our own, while we parent, while we discipline, we're just raising good little girls and boys. We're just raising moral kids. And it hit me this week to say, we aren't moralists, guys. We're Christians. We're not moralists. We're Christians. And so that means that everything we do should have the gospel of grace and the message of Jesus woven through it. It's not what I can do on my own. I've tried. When we change the story of the Bible from a gospel of grace to a book of moralistic teaching and all sorts of rules, that's when things go wrong. My favorite Bible is uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. When I gave my life to Christ, I bought a really fat Bible filled with life application, the New Living Translation Life Application Bible. It explained to me things I didn't understand. It gave me history, and it really opened up my eyes getting a picture of God. But I still had lots of gaps, lots of misunderstandings, and so I would tend to turn to children's Bibles. You know, I would tend to, to want it as easy as could be. And so if you've never read the Bible before, you're struggling, Jesus' storybook Bible is a great place to start. And one of the things she says in the introduction, maybe even just close your eyes as I read it right now. Now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it. But as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible is not a book of rules or a book of heroes. It's most of all a story, an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. A story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There's lots of stories in the Bible, but they're all telling the big story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of this story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece of a puzzle, the piece that makes all other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. 
This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the beginning. And today, I want to take us all the way back to the beginning, keeping in mind how I was sharing my story, where I always felt like I couldn't match up. You know, I knew about rules, but I was always falling short. Just like Romans 3.23 tells us, we've all fallen short. And because of that, I was living in this constant state of shame and guilt. And maybe you've experienced that before, or you do now, um, because instead of walking in that grace relationship and understanding that God sent Jesus, I was trying my best to keep those rules. And so what I would do is I would find, I would find the line. I would often ask people, youth pastors, like, like, how far can I go? How far is too far? And nobody, nobody had the answer. And sadly, nobody pointed me to wisdom. Nobody pointed me to Jesus. You know, I, I would want to know, like, okay, just use your imagination. I'm not going to go there. Wherever the line was, I wanted to be as close as I could. And the problem with that is the minute you make one bad choice, you're over the line. There's no margin. There's no margin for, okay, I got a little too close. And so as we raise teenagers and as we have taught in youth groups and churches for all these years, we're going, it's not about, it's not just about what you can do, it's, it's about whether or not you should. You know, it's not just about the rules. Give yourself wisdom. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. If you're, if you're making your limits way back here, there's a little bit of margin. You're not going to enter into the chains that sometimes sin brings. And you're so close to that line, you're only one decision away from sin, and you end up crossing lines you never wanted to cross. And the cycle of guilt and shame enters in. In Genesis chapter 2, God commands Adam in the garden. He's talking about everything here is good. You can eat of this fruit. You can eat of these trees. In, chapter, or in verse 6, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From the tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And every time we make those choices, we're reminded we don't measure up. Sin causes death. In, in chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? And remember, the attack of the enemy is always going to question. Did God really say, you know, did God really say you can fill in the blanks? We question him. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Boundaries. Don't even touch it. You won't die, the serpent said. Like, not really. You know, have you ever kind of had the, the it doesn't sound like 
a real voice, but those thoughts like, ah, it's just a, it's not, it's just a big deal. It's not a big deal. I'm just going to get a little bit closer to the line. His good old lies about how unfun God is, how great sin is, and everything that you're missing out on. So Eve eats the fruit and she shares with her husband because sin really loves company. And what happens next in verse 7, the moment their eyes were opened, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And I think sometimes we just, we ignore what's happening in our own hearts. You know, it's easier to see it when it's happening to someone else. So if you can't see it in yourself, maybe, maybe you have kids and you can think of it in the kids. When they get into trouble, their initial flesh response is not always to come get help. They have to be trained to come get help. Their initial response is to tell a lie. Their initial response is to cover it up. Their initial response is to hide. And, and maybe if you see it that way, you could see it in yourself sometimes. That initial response to cover. Causing us to pull away the shame that wants to come. And, and we blame other people. Shame causes us to hide. As I was preparing this week, I marveled um, at, at what I saw in the news because Dr. Hinshaw was talking about COVID-19, which we're still, um, you know, experiencing the, the effects of. And she said, you guys, we have to be really careful because people who are testing positive are reported about, um, they report being shamed. And so we have to be compassionate with those who test positive. And there's a, psych a psychologist going on, goes on in the article, and she says, um, a person does not feel worthy of love and belonging when they feel shame. Can identify with that? In the case of the novel coronavirus, people will be more likely to hide symptoms or hide a positive test if they believe they'll be ashamed for it. She goes on about how we should handle it, and she says it's actually that shame is the thing that will cause more deaths and more fatalities. And that just struck me this week, thinking about shame. We hide, it causes more damage. It causes more spiritual decay, more death in us. Causes us to pull away. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, when the cool breeze, evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And so many times we're far from God because sin and shame have caused us to pull away. Whether it be um, that we've been trying to keep the rules or we have no regard for the rules, shame will cause us to hide. Just like Adam and Eve, God hasn't, he hasn't changed anything about his routine with us. He still showed up. He still wanted to hang with them and talk to them. 
He hasn't changed who he is to you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still there, and where can they be found? They're in the trees. They're hiding. They're feeling exposed. And you might, you might see it in yourself, maybe with your spouse, maybe, maybe at work, but it looks something like, you know, we don't usually respond like, God, I need help. We respond trying to fix it on our own. We respond by um, trying to make it right, trying to pull our socks up. Just, I'm just going to try harder next time. I'm just going to be better next time. I'm just going to try to be good. And I think we parent that way a little bit too, guys. You, you know, you sh it used to be said when we were growing up, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you. And, and very quickly, I think, as we raised kids, we realized, oh, no, we don't want shame. But it's still hard to weave the gospel in. Like, yeah, I know you made a mistake. So this week, when one of, one of my kids was uh, participating in something that they knew wasn't, wasn't appropriate, and I had a little talk with them, because the gospel of grace was on my mind, I was able to say, hey, let's look at this. Look what happened. The minute, the minute there was an opportunity by being caught or, or having to tell about what happened, just like in the garden, what was your response? You wanted to lie. You wanted to blame someone else. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I've done that. I do that. And that's why we need Jesus. I try to cover it up all the time. I'm so sorry, Travis, that I've disappointed you. I'll just make it up to you tomorrow. We don't allow the gospel of grace to cause us to repent, to cause us to want to change. We're just going to make it up to someone. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to trust in you. I'm just going to work harder. Making it up to you, God. Making it up to you, people, kids, boss. We try harder. We try to make things right on our own. We try to have our own righteousness. But we know in Isaiah, the Bible says we've all been infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. My better and my harder is just not enough. It doesn't matter how good, how moral I am. That's not the point. It's not enough. And so even in Genesis, we can see God foreshadowing. He, he's always pointing to Jesus. The entire Bible, the whole story points to Jesus. All the rule keeping, all the lists, all the bloodshed, it's all pointing us to Jesus, exposing that we cannot meet those expectations. And so in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife, because their attempts to make things right were not good enough. There had to be the shedding of blood. In Hebrews, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. There was always bloodshed in the Old Testament. But the new covenant, once and for all, Jesus died for us sinless man, the records of our wrong nailed to the cross. When I consider that he became sin for me, I can only bend my knee. He not only took my sin, 
he became sin for me. And he gives me his very nature, his very righteousness. He covers us with righteousness so that we can be made right with God. Isaiah 61 verse 10, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. He covers us. Just like in Genesis, he covered them. He covered them and he draws them near. God wants to draw you near. We need Jesus. There is no I'll make it up to you tomorrow. There's no I'll try harder or I'll do better. Whether we are far from keeping the law, whether we're good at it, we have to know we need Jesus. Because there is no difference to God with lawlessness or lawfulness. And I think as I was pondering this week and thinking about that, that cycle of shame, and I can see the pattern in my life where it's like, I'm going to keep the law, I break the law, I feel shame. None of it matters to God. He needs us to know that we're just not, we're not making the mark. We've missed it. And that, that shame cycle begins to start. And, yeah, and you know that I'm not saying we shouldn't live righteously. But I know that in my life, and I know what the Bible points to, is that on our own, we can't. And it wasn't until I understand, understood what Jesus had done for me that I even wanted to obey. You know, my, my attitude was no longer... Can, how close can I get? It was like, I want nothing to do with that. Because the closer I get to that line, the less intimacy I experienced with Jesus. The less I felt like I could hear from him and trust, trust in his word. It was like I was always, you know, being pulled back and forth. But once I understood it was Jesus, my heart wanted to obey God's already taken care of your sin. Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. You know, even... Even the people in the Bible who were good at keeping the law, like maybe the ones who were considered the really good guys, they killed the only good man that ever did exist. Even the most religious and the best at keeping the law missed Jesus. And so as we kind of begin to wrap up this morning. Don't miss Jesus. Don't be so good at keeping the law. Don't be so good at keeping the rules. Or don't be so far. Don't be so close to lawlessness. Put your trust in Jesus. Don't miss him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and they're just going to play some music. I want to read to you 
Romans chapter 8. It's long. I memorized it once in Bible school, but I want to read it from the message, and that's not the way I memorized it. The way I memorized it, I think, was the NIV, and you probably know it. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are battling with shame, if you're battling with trying to, to do it on your own, if you don't know what it's like to walk with Jesus, I want to encourage you today to take that step and put your faith in him. In the message, the heading above Romans chapter 8 says, the solution is life on God's terms. Verse 1, with the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is re resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer, as in he died and he rose again, we live under this continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Doesn't matter what mess you're in, he wants to set it right. He wants to enter into your world, your home, your workplace, and set it right. The law code, weakened as it always was, by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being a band-aid on sin. How many of you have, have just put a band-aid on some things instead of a deep healing of it? We just band-aid things sometimes. Maybe you've been walking around with that band-aid and today you're willing to rip it off so it can heal. Maybe it needs air, needs God-breathed life into it today. A deep healing. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. It goes on to talk about, you know, there's those who think they can do it on their own. They end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Let's not be like that. Let's let, let's let the gospel of Jesus, the good news that he came and he died and he rose again, let's let that permeate everything we do. Not in a weird way, not in a, a, a I'm trying so hard way, just healing, peace. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Stand up this morning, and we're just going to pray. God, would you come right now? Would you breathe in this place? welcomed Jesus. 
today can be your day. The law of God shows us what God commands, but it, it doesn't have the power to enable us to do what it says. It guides us, but it doesn't give us life. Jesus gave his life for us. God, today, would you come and would you, instead of a band-aid for sin and shame, would you bring healing? Would you help us, rather than redoubling our efforts, embrace what you have for us through Jesus? Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.